morning. The hot topic of the day is why did Randy bring a toy with him? See my little zebra? Now, being a grandfather, and especially being a grandfather of four girls, I realize how important your little animals can be to you. So I found this little fellow on the parking lot last week after church as I was walking to my car, and he was going, Randy, Randy, pick me up. Pick me up. And I said, you don't seem to understand. I've got to bend over to do that. Pick me up or I'll get you. So if this belongs to your child or (laughs) is it really yours? All right, see? Come on down, you won! (laughs) Now, this week I'll be picking up a car on the parking lot. See, somebody's going to be happy today, aren't they? See? You won! All right. Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 4. If you need a Bible, don't have one, or don't have a device that you can turn on, I know you're always going to Scripture when you do that. Raise your hand, and these guys will be glad to give you one. Hebrews chapter 4. we continue to talk about our high priest and who Jesus is and our resting in him, last week we talked about the promise of rest, the picture of rest, and we're going to begin to focus today in verse 9 of chapter 4. And one of the things that I love about this particular subject, this particular portion of scripture, and when you understand the book of Hebrews, the background behind it, it's really fascinating because it, the writer of Hebrews was writing to Jewish people who had become followers of Jesus Christ. And yet, they were really struggling with the old ways. And they had people coming in and telling them, okay, it's good. You, if you want to believe Jesus is the Messiah, that's, a, that's okay and that's good. But you also need to keep the law. And they were putting that burden on them. And we've talked about this whole series, the idea of just resting in who our Savior is. And he, uh, I'm, we're studying the book of Colossians in my 930 class. And the theme of the book of Colossians is you are complete in Christ. You don't need to add to Christ. You are complete in Him. And so the reason I love Hebrews and the reason that I want to really share this with you from Hebrews is it's such an encouragement to us as Christians who our Savior is, who the Lord of the Sabbath is, who our high priest is. We saw last week that we've been promised something by God. When God makes a promise, what do you know? He will keep it. And he promises us 
rest. And we looked at the picture of the Sabbath. We talked about that at great length. Picture of David with the picture of Joshua. Joshua conquered the promised land, Canaan, which means rest. But it was earthly. It was temporary. It was a picture of what was to come. So what I want us to do today is focus on the idea of what is ours and the permanence of this rest that we have in Jesus Christ. So that's where we're going to begin in Hebrews 4 verse 9. We're going to start there, number three on your handout. And we're going to begin to look now at the permanence of this rest and why this is such an encouragement to us as Christians, that this is mine. This is my present possession. This is my inheritance. This is what I look forward to. The first thing I want you to notice is that it's perpetual. Let's start in verse 9 of chapter 4. At the end of verse 8, he's been talking about Joshua. And at the end of verse 8, he said, God would not have afterwards spoken of another day of rest if what Joshua got for them was the end. It wasn't. It was a picture. So God had promised there's a further rest. We talked about that last week. Verse 9. There remains, therefore, in light of what God has said and, and what he has promised us, there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. The word remains means continues. Continues on. It didn't end with Joshua. There have been believers at the time of Joshua following him on down to our day today when the writer of Hebrews was writing to the early church to remind them who you are in Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And by faith in him, when you're born again, you enter into a relationship with God. And one of the things you're given is perpetual rest. It's permanent. It remains. It continues. And the word rest here is really interesting. It's the only time in the Bible this particular word for rest is used. It's a great metaphorical picture. The literal meaning in Greek was twofold. It was like a farmer who would work all day long from, from sunup to sundown and just be exhausted. And he would come in and take off his dirty, nasty shoes like some of us. When I was uh, in the greeting card business and I would go to meetings and I'd be in a room all day long and I was the only one in the room that did not smoke. And my wife is extremely allergic to that. And we did not have a garage. We had a carport in our house. And when I would come in for those meetings, she'd make me undress in the carport. Not in the garage with the door closed, but in the carport. Do the best you can, buddy. You ain't coming into the house. So the idea here in Greek is that farmer works all day long, just bone tired, comes home, takes off his dirty shoes, and just he rests working himself all day long. And then the other usage of it was like a traveler who's gone a long way and finally reaches his destination and just lays down the rest. And so the idea here in the context of what we're talking about, in the context of Hebrews, he's saying whatever you go through, all that you might go through in life, because of who you are in Christ, because of who Christ is. He is our high priest. 
He is our Sabbath rest, and it's literally the, the same, in, in a very real sense, the word that's used for Sabbath here with a further definition. And the idea is you rest in him now, but at the end of your journey, you know you're going to your rest. It's yours. In Christ, heaven is yours. Your promised land, your Canaan, your rest awaits you. With all those metaphors over the years, you could have crossed over the Jordan. In the New Testament, one place that you, the idea of death is described this way. You set sail from this shore, and you land at the other shore, and you go, you're going home. And that's what it is for a believer. I officiated a funeral this week, and I mentioned it to you last week that I was going to, and, and uh, the uh, widower, Jack, is 96 years old. And just sitting there, realizing at 96, you don't expect to outlive your spouse. He said, I'd made all my plans, Randy. Everything was set up for me to go first. And they're sitting at Cheddar's eating, and she just dies at the table. And Jack, such a, a again, one of, one of my heroes. And we're just sitting there talking at the uh, funeral home the other day. Just Really, we were talking about World War II. And... Uh, all that he had gone through and different things. And I said, Jack, the beautiful thing about this is you know Liz is at rest. And you need some rest. Just and, and just relax and take time with your family. And the son of him and his son-in-law are as close as two human beings can be. And you know, the son-in-law lost his wife just a few years ago. And it was Jack's daughter. Again, you don't expect to outlive your, your children. And I said, Jack, uh, the Lord's going to use this in your life. Already has for me. It's an encouragement to me. And just a, a great man. And the other thing I told him was, you know, it's not right, Jack. You're 96 years old. You still got a full head of black hair. It ain't right. Dude, 96, got a full head of hair, no body fat. I said, Jack, it ain't right, and you need to share some of that hair with me. He said, just shut up, stupid, and go up there and do the funeral. I said, all right, I'll do it. Um, it's yours. It's your rest. It's perpetual. Secondly, look at verse 10. I love this principle. It's not just yours. But understand it's positional. Look at verse 10. It exists. For he who has entered God's rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. We talked about all of that with the Sabbath and the example and the picture. And here's the point. Jesus came and he died on the cross. We're going to celebrate next Sunday his triumphal entry and the following week celebrate Easter and how special that resurrection is. And the truth is without it, we have no reason to be here, except we like each other. But beyond that, we don't have any reason to be here if he did not rise from the dead. But now Christ is risen from the dead. And the whole, it's, it's such an encouragement. And, and no matter what you face, that God is saying to you, you are mine. This is your position. Christ came. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. Paul, in 1 Corinthians summarizes the gospel that way. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. That's the gospel, the good news. He died, he was buried, he rose again. By so doing, as the perfect sacrifice, he conquered sin and death, and you don't have to. You can't. You don't have to work to do it. He did the work. He did the work. 
so I can be born again, so I can be declared righteous in Christ. That's my position as a Christian. That's who you are. If you're born again, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you're following him. You know when you die you're going to heaven. Why? Because you're good? Nope. Because you give money? Nope. Because you come to church, go to Bible study, you do a lot of good things, you're a good provider? No, you're a good husband, you're a good wife? Nope, none of those things. It's because he did the work. He did the work you could not do. When he said it is finished, he paid your debt. All that you owed, he stamped it paid in full when he did the work on the cross. And if that doesn't encourage you, I I don't know what else to say, is that he is your righteousness in Christ positionally. Look at verse 10 again. You cease from your works as God did from his. Heaven is our present possession. He saved us. He's in the process of sanctifying us. One day he'll glorify us because of who Jesus is. Now verse 11. Perpetual is positional, but you're accountable. Here's how it works out in your life daily. Look at verse 11. Let us, therefore, in light of this rest that we possess, in light of who we are in Christ and where we are in Christ and that we're a child of God. Let us, therefore, in response to that, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. We've talked about that earlier with the children of Israel. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from God's sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We're accountable. First of all, I want you to notice the idea of being diligent. Verse 11, be diligent to enter that rest. Now, it doesn't mean you work to earn it. It doesn't mean you work to get it. It means you have it. You already talked about that at great length. It's your present possession. What God is saying to you, be diligent. Number one, appreciate what you have and then cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in your life as a believer to rest in your Lord. Rest in who your high priest is. Rest in Jesus. Testify to who he is. In your life, others see how you handle problems, how you deal with relationships. Who is Jesus Christ to you? He is my Savior. He is my high priest. He is my Sabbath rest. That whatever I might face, whatever turmoil I might find myself in, that I know Jesus is in the midst of it with me. He's on the other side of it. He knows what he's doing. He's working in there. Remember we studied Philippians. said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. If you just stop there, it's like you're working to get it. But it's work out what you have. And the very next verse says, for God is at work in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I exist. I'm on planet Earth as a Christian simply because God has not said, Randy, it's time to come home yet. So in the interim, which is where I talked about positionally, I'm his. One day I will die and go home. In the interim, God is working in my life 
to show to the world that he is God. My job is to cooperate with him, be diligent. And notice the very next thing. How do I do that? It's by being a person of the word of God. Look at what he says. Verse 11, leading into verse 12. We're diligent, and in verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, here's the idea. We're going to talk about the words in just a moment. I want to make sure you see this. Throughout our country, throughout our world, people gather in the name of Jesus Christ. Some are believers, some are not. People are always wanting and seeking and saying, boy, I, I, I wish I could hear from God. I'd like to have a word from God. I'd like to have a touch from God. And you've got preachers up here saying you can get it this way and that way. Here's what God wants you to know. The Holy Spirit is at work in you. If you're born again, if you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit is at work in your life all the time. He is omnipresent. So he's working on me the same time he's working on you, and he's working on, on Scott, and he's working on everybody who's a child of his. Constantly. He has given to you, you're holding it in your hand, or you're looking at it on your mobile device, or wherever it might be. When you... Look at the Word of God. The author of that is the same Holy Spirit that's at work in your life, whether it was through Moses, the writer of Hebrews, or the Apostle Paul, or whoever, whatever book you might be reading, Habakkuk, Hosea, Jonah, Jeremiah, pick a book. They were all written by the same Holy Spirit over over a 1,500-year period of time by 40 different guys, and it's totally consistent without contradiction. So here's what God says to you. If you're serious about being diligent to enter that rest, if, you're on, if you honestly want to be a Christ follower, if you are not just playing a game, if you want to be what I want you to be, here's my suggestion. How about reading the book I gave to you? How about putting yourself in immersed in my manual for living that I've given to you to teach you who I am, who you are in Christ, what I want from you, what I can do, what I have done, what I will do in the future. That's why you hear me harp all the time about how important it is that you're in systematic Bible study. That's okay. I love babies. No, no, don't you worry about that. Systematic Bible study. Why? Now, you could do a devotion every day, and you should, and I gather I would be willing to bet many of you do. But you need to be systematically studying, learning. Listen, I, I teach a lot. I know it's why God has me on the planet is to, to tell jokes and to teach the Bible. And, and, and you know what? I love doing both. But every week, I sit at my cheap computer, which is older than I am. My daughter-in-law was up my house this week, and, and she wanted to email something to back to her work at FedEx. She said, Randy, can I borrow your computer? I said, you can, but you ain't going to like it. 
She goes, I just need the USB, whatever that means. And she said, I need the USB this, this, and just email it to work. So I said, I, I don't really think you could do that on my computer. Sure enough, she goes in my, she says, yeah, just show me. So she goes in my office at, at the house. And she gets ready to do it. She, she look at it. And she, she didn't want to embarrass me. She's so sweet. I mean, she, she, she's been married to Andy for a year, so she's got to be a, a tremendous saint of God. So, or Federic, what, two years? I don't know, two or three years. Anyway. She's in there, she's turning it upside down. Look at it. She goes, you don't even have a USB port. I said, I told you, you wouldn't want to, you would not want to use this computer. She goes, never mind, I'll do it on my phone. So, and I knew she was laughing at me. Listen, how special this is. God says to you, pray over this book. It is a, the point I was making about me. I spend a lot of time preparing for this stuff, even though sometimes it doesn't seem that way. But what I do in the process, for every one of these, I probably listen to or read the transcripts of five other pastors that have preached on this subject, beyond just studying for myself. Because I want to hear their perspective. People I respect. People, current pastors, well as some back in the 1800s I go back and read why because I need to learn if I'm not constantly learning then I'm going backwards I need to be challenged I need to be convicted I need to be motivated I need to be realized I can never be satisfied and so do you so do you again God has you here Yes, to be a father, yes, to be a husband, a mother, a wife, and a friend. But above all of that, a child of God who's resting in Jesus and sharing him with your culture. On Easter Sunday, what I'm going to talk about, because I realize on Easter Sunday that there'll be people who don't go to church all the time. And it's always a balance trying to figure out, what do I want to talk about? But what I want to challenge everybody with on Easter Sunday is truth matters. It matters. And either Jesus is exactly who he said he was, and he rose from the dead, or we really are wasting our time. And we need to be challenged, answer the questions, face the objections, and then say, all right, I got it, I believe it, and then go out and live it. Because if we don't, we're missing such an opportunity. It is why the church exists. It's to go into all the world and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Not to be entertained, even though we do some entertaining. It's to be the church. Jesus said, I got one commission for you. Go into all the world and make disciples of me. Learner followers. This is what you learn so you can follow. You have to be in the Word of God. Now notice what he says about it. His comment, the, the writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that's ministering in your heart right now as you sit here, notice what he says about the Word of God. Number one, verse 12. The Word of God is living. In the Greek text that this is written, the context for this, this is the emphatic word. This is the what everything else flows from this word, that the word of God is living. It's not a dead text written 
like Homer's Iliad and Odyssey. It's not just an ancient text. It's alive. It is unique. And here's the point. Here we are 2,000 years after this book was written, and it's just as relevant now as it was when the writer of Hebrews penned it. Just like Genesis is. Leviticus, a book you read all the time. We all can't wait. Remember how when you, I knew when I first got saved, I said, I'm going to read the Bible. Genesis was pretty cool. And Exodus had some neat stories in it. Boy, then you hit Leviticus. I said, you know what, I, I, I'm going to take a nap. You'd be amazed at the stuff that's in Leviticus that relates to Jesus Christ. Read Leviticus 23, the tabernacle. What a beautiful picture of us being the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's relevant. It's alive. It's living. And the Greek term means it's constantly active. Constantly active. So when you're reading the Bible, you're not just reading a book. God is talking to you. And if you're a Christian, it's not just God talking to you. It's your dad saying, pay attention, son. I got something for you. Wake up. I need you to pay attention. I'm talking. You ever had that conversation with your children? Look here. And Mary has that with me all the time. Look here. I'm, tell, I'm talking to you, son. I'm foghorn, leghorn. I love, I love Looney Tunes. Son. I got something for you. Pay attention. It's living. Secondly, it's powerful. It's powerful. And that simply means it's working on something all the time. Isaiah 55, 11 says, God's word never returns void, empty, or meaningless. God is using it all the time. I know in my own life, I find myself praying, and as I'm praying for things, Constantly, verses in Scripture will come to my mind that God will use to either encourage me, convict me, motivate me. I, I'll get up from praying a lot of times, and, and, and some of you, I, I did it this week, with, and I won't mention your name because it's embarrassing, but there's a guy that's in the room right now, and as I was praying about different things, he came to my heart. I was praying for him. I said, man, just, he's been going through something for so long, and it's so difficult. And I just stopped praying right then and picked up my I, And I, I love when you learned how to do things like text, I, I picked up my phone and texted him. The only problem was I had the wrong cell phone number. <laughs> hey, God knew that. So I ran into him this morning. I said, man, did you get my text? He goes, no. I said, God, it was a good one too. But I was praying for him and I was just, I don't know why, I was moved to, so I just got stopped and I sent him a text. Now, God knew I sent it. God answers the prayers, but there's another friend of mine that's in the room right now, and I won't mention his name, and I know something's really on his heart's going on right now, and I just texted him and said, man, I'm really praying for you right now. I just want you to know I'm praying for you right now, that I hope that it's God's will this happens for you. And I hope that encourages people. You never know. Just different verses come to your mind. You can text somebody you know that's hurting in a particular area. There's a number. I'm just looking out here and looking at faces. I could, I could just, several different things in my, on my heart where I hurt for you. But I do know this. The word of God is powerful. That word powerful there in verse 12, we get our English word energy from this. Energy. So every time you hear the word energy or you go to put gas in your car, you can remember Hebrews. 
The word of God is living. It's powerful. Look at the next one. This is an incredible metaphor. It is piercing. Piercing. Where it can divide a soul from a spirit and the joints and the marrows of your very... Here's the whole point that he wants you to understand. It's powerful. It's alive. It pierces to the innermost part of your being. The non-material part. The soul, the spirit, the intellect, the, emo, the, the what is you? The Word of God deals with that. You could go to a doctor, and I love my doctors, and and I love uh, how they take care of me. And they've done a great job. They've kept me alive for years. But they can't divide a soul from a spirit, can they? Just think about that. They know what your marrow is, and they can deal with it to a certain extent. God created your marrow. God created your soul. He breathed. You're created in the image of God. That's what the Bible deals with. They don't mess with mitral valves, heart rhythm issues. It goes right to who you are, your soul, your spirit, your thoughts, your intents. What makes you you? Bible deals with. It's like a scalpel. God prunes. God shapes. God molds. He does it through the Word of God and prayer. That's why learning the Word of God is so essential so you even know how to pray. There's so many, we were talking about it this morning in my class, there's so many false teachers out there. Just lying about the Word of God and making stuff up to manipulate people, to con people. I need to know the Word of God so I know truth when I hear it. I can respond to truth. Let God do His work in my life. I'm accountable to it. You have the Word of God. You don't. God has given it to you. If you don't use it, whose fault is it? It's your own. It's living. It's powerful. It's piercing. Notice the next one. It's a discerner of thoughts and intents. Nobody is hidden from God's sight. I love the word discerner there in Greek. That word is a word we get critic from in English. We all, we all like to be critics, right? Especially when I watch like University of Memphis basketball. I'm a, I'm a serious critic because that's my school. Even the Grizzlies now I've become. I'm, I'm I know more. I don't know why I know so much more than they do, but I do. But if it's something you're really into, we like to be a critic. Like if, if you're into movies or books, or like my son, he's big into comic books and and all that kind of stuff. And, I mean, he's and he's getting his he's going he's in uh, uh, graduate school for a degree. He wants to teach English at college. And so he, I'm reading a book, just some book read just to read. He picks it up yesterday. He goes, how does anybody think this is good? I said, son, I like it. He goes, why? I said, well, why did you like comic books? Don't make me slap you. We like to be critics. But here's the point. God is the discerner. He's the ultimate critic. He discerns my thoughts and intents, and he knows in advance what I'm going to think, what I'm going to do. And so he has the Holy Spirit. He, the Holy Spirit, is prompting me. Don't do that. I'm telling you, you don't want to do that. That's not good. Again, the Word of God. How you learn right what's wrong and in gray areas how do you respond what do you do 
Your daddy's got it. Got it here for you. Their thoughts and intents of the heart. Look at the next thing. This is really an interesting metaphor. Verse 13. No creature is hidden from his sight. If you think you're doing something and you're getting away with it, from you're not getting away with it from God, by the way. He is not only omniscient, knows everything, he's everywhere. That's kind of a downer at times, isn't it? But it's meant to be an encouragement. He's wherever you are, he's already there. Been there waiting on you. But he's also when you're in, in the middle of rebelling against him, he's also there. And he will do what he's got to do to discipline you. Nothing's hidden from his sight. Look at the way he puts it. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him, God, to whom we must give what? Uh Uh-oh. All things are open to him. You know what the word open means in Greek? Great picture. If you miss everything else, get this one. Two things it's a picture of. Greco-Roman wrestling was a big deal in that culture and still people obviously it's going on even today but the word open in Greek was like the wrestler would grab his opponent by the throat and look in his face somebody got you by the throat and looking in your face you're paying attention aren't you I remember my brother turned 18 and my brother was as rebellious a human being as God has ever put on the planet and my dad did not like it my dad was a World War II veteran who looked like John Wayne when he turned, my brother turned 18, he looked at my dad and said, hey, you can't tell me what to do anymore. My dad grabbed him with his left hand by the throat, lifted my brother up off the floor, held him right here and went, boom, and dropped him. And he turned to me and said, you want some? I said, no, dad, I'm cool. Hit him again. You know he needs it. That's what open means. God's got you by the throat. He's looking at your face. But see, he loves you. He ain't going to punch you in the face unless you need it. He's going to love you and say, hey, hey, boy, pay attention. Now, here's what I expect you to do. And everything is open to him. Everything is open to him. And the other way this word was used in Greek is really even maybe more startling. It's when the accused of a crime in open court getting ready to pass judgment on him, that's what the word open means. They would take a dagger and put it under his chin. He's tied up, and they put the dagger right here. You're not going anywhere, are you? You're open to the court, and here's going to be your judgment. See, all things are open to God, to whom we must give an account. That's why this thing began with be diligent to enter your rest. You know you're born again and live like you're born again and rest in it and listen to your dad. Listen, how many mistakes has God made in the existence of the universe? Is it going to start with you? Yet, yet we don't seem to trust him. Now, I've made many mistakes, many. But by and large, if I tell you something, you can trust me that, that I'm going to try to do what I tell you. But with God, he's never made a mistake. He never will. You, you trust him. That's why you want to go to the word of God. Find out what God's into. What does he think about this? I want to do it his way, open. And then the other thing it says, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. 
The Romans had a sharp, had two types of sword, but one of them was a little short, two-edged dagger that they would use to just at close quarters to rip you open. That's the word that's used here. God is our judge. To him, we must give an account. See, he's given us permanent rest. Permanent rest. I want to end today with this story because I really hope it challenges you. In the late 1800s, there was a preacher named G. Campbell Morgan. I still read some of his stuff even today. In the late 1800s, he was a fairly young man at 19 when he began to preach and was really successful. Really successful in what he was doing. had a great ministry. 19. And the reason this means so much to me is that I can somewhat relate to it, not in the success part, but in what happened to him as a 19-year-old. At 19, I'd been saved about three years. And so at 19, he's already a preacher, and he's fairly successful. And he began to have serious doubts as he would read other writers like Huxley and Herbert Spencer, Charles Darwin, John Tyndall. And he would read what they had to say. He's an intellectual person. And here's what he said. He began to question and doubt if what he really believed was the truth, what he was preaching. Here's what he said. I am no longer sure that this is what my father claims it to be, talking about the Bible, the Word of God. But of this I am sure. If it be the Word of God, and if I come to it with an unprejudiced and open mind, it will bring assurance to my soul of itself. He canceled all his engagements, all his preaching engagements, put all his books aside. He went out and bought a brand new Bible, closeted himself alone with it, and just began to read it, pray over it, study it. And here's what he said. After spending time alone with God in his word, quote, the Bible found me. And then he went out, and his ministry just exploded again as he preached. Here's my challenge to you. If I were to ask you, are you a Christian? Most of you, if not all of you, would raise your hand. Are you a student of the Word of God? Your dad wants you to be. Is it important to you to find out what God wants? He's given it to you right here. Now, are there things that will challenge you that you're not going to be able to open the Bible to page 46 and find? Oh, no, but you'll learn principles. You'll learn how to be what God wants you to be. You're accountable to God. This is what how you're accountable to God, through his word. If you don't believe the Bible is true, give it a chance. Objectively examine it. That's what I did in college. I mean, I'd been saved for three years. I was teaching junior high kids, and, and uh, by then we were married, and I had a good life. But, you know, when you're in college, you're challenged. And you have professors who say, are you a Christian? Well, man, I'm the first one to jump up and say, absolutely I am. And then they would begin to say, you know, you're an idiot, don't you? I said, well, I probably am, but I, but I consider myself a student. I love to read. I love to study. So I just began, well, these guys say the Bible is not true. It's fairy tales. And I was challenged to study it, find out for myself. That was a long time ago. 
I know the Bible is true, absolutely. There are things in here that, that no human being could write. It just couldn't have been written by a human being. Both archaeologically, historically, scientifically, on and on, it's been proven to be true. So if, if I'm a Christian, then this is what I surrender to. This is what I follow. This is my life's manual. I challenge you. You've got the rest. Hold yourself accountable. Be diligent. Enter that rest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you very simply that Jesus Christ is exactly who he said he was. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is our rest. Come unto me, all you labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Lord, for those of us that are saved, we know that rest. I pray we'd be diligent to live in it, to grow in it, to share it with so many people need it, that we know that need it. Pray you'd use us individually as a church to teach others about this rest. That church is not what you think it is, that Jesus is not who you think he is, that God's not who you think he is. Let me share with you the God of the Bible. Let me share with you who Jesus really is. Let me tell you what he's done for me, how I can rest in him. Lord, I know there are people in this room right now that are really hurting for a lot of different reasons, but I know Jesus is God over that hurt. I pray you help them, challenge them, minister to their souls right now. If there's somebody here, Lord, that's not a Christian, this would be their moment to say, thank you, Jesus. You died for me. Forgive me. Save me. I want to be a follower of yours. And for those of us that are Christians, challenge us, Lord, to live in light of that rest that we have in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.